startled into service. My grandmother's home in the village of Madison, ten miles or so west of us, where my mother grew up, was nicknamed the House of Many Chimneys. In the garden by the back door there were pink roses, which my grandmother, half-blind and old, fretted over constantly, nicking her fingers on the thorns. The hallway light is on. Betty's been in the kitchen, cadging a snack as she does in the middle of the night, after being awakened by the need for the bathroom or dreams that make her cry out. Something, her dreams, her thoughts, her memories, hounds my mother at night. A light sleeper, she toddles around in her thick white socks, clearing her throat loudly, veering slightly from side to side, turning on the coffee, which will be cold by morning, checking to see if everything is in her own odd idea of order. After she's gone to bed, I try to light the path she takes to the kitchen in the dark, leaving on the lamp in my father's office, along with one in the foyer, to provide a trail to guide her through the hall. Are you awake? my mother asks. I am now, I say. Betty, who I recently discovered sorting through the contents of my suitcase, turns on the overhead light in my room, wrinkles her brow, and peers in like a camp counselor on an inspection tour, as if she suspects I might be entertaining someone who's paddled in from across the lake. She must keep an eye out. I'm a schemer. There are things going on behind her back, plans afoot, she fears. She has no intention of cooperating with any of them. When the phone rings, she listens to every word, not sure if she can trust me with her independence. I don't blame her. I am an unlikely guardian. A month ago, I thought the Medicare donut hole was a breakfast special for seniors. I am a care inflictor. She's not easy to corral. Her will remains at blast force strength. It's a hot day, but I'm going to that sale, she murmured last week in her sleep, as outside the temperature soared past a hundred, and in her dream she jabbed her finger up to place a bid. She's testier with me than anyone, sometimes slapping the air if I come too close. There are days I cannot please her. Carol, who has worked in nursing homes, says that old people who are failing get the angriest with those they're most attached to, the people who make them realize they're no longer themselves. But Betty's crankiness is an act, I think, a way to conceal her embarrassment at having to ask anything of anyone. When I do something for her, she looks away. Accustomed to fending for herself, she hates all this. I was worried, Betty says. You said last night you couldn't sleep. I was worried you wouldn't sleep tonight. She stares at me. No, I'm sleeping. I'm asleep. Right now, I'm talking in my sleep. You're in bed in your clothes again. I dozed off reading. Actually, I go to bed in clothes because I'm waiting to be called into action, anticipating a fall or a stroke or shout-out. She seems so frail when I tuck her in. I keep the ambulance number along with the one for the emergency room on my bedside table. It isn't a good thing for people to go to bed in their clothes. The appeal didn't come today, 
she complains. Our little town's newspaper, which reports civic events, charitable campaigns, and church news, including the movement of the spirit at the full gospel church, has appeared erratically recently, possibly because of the increasingly short-staffed post office. This is the kind of lag that can throw my mother into crisis mode. She wants what she wants when she wants it. Did someone call today from the church? I can't find my other shoe, the Mephisto. I say we'll look in the morning, and my mother, somewhat satisfied, almost smiles. For a second, there's the old Betty, who doesn't often appear now, my old friend. In St. Louis, when we turn off Skinker onto Delmar, not far from the university city gates, Betty always points out the place where, as a young woman working as a secretary at Union Electric,